0: The day after Thanksgiving, my brother-in-law, who was driving from Kansas with his wife and two-year-old, driving to Kansas, I mean, with his wife and two-year-old son, texted Matt and me saying, we need a ruling. Is it okay to listen to Christmas music yet? (laughs) Obviously, this had been a topic of conversation in the car as they were leaving Denver for the eight-hour drive. Given it was the day after Thanksgiving, Matt and I said yes. Yes, Christmas music is now allowed in all forms. Would you have voted the same way? Yes. Yes. Anybody wants to wait until December 1st or later to listen to Christmas music? Anybody? No? How many of you, like, start the day after Halloween? (laughs) A few of you. A few of you. A few of you are early starters. I, I understand that. I sympathize with you early starters because, in my opinion, there is nothing so wonderful as Christmas music. And when I say that, I mean a very particular kind of Christmas music. Mostly what I mean is what we've had here today, church music. At the end of the day, I have to confess, I am not a giant fan of songs like Santa Baby. <laughs> or All I Want for Christmas is You. I mean, they're fine. They're fine to hear like once or twice in the season. But, but by the time the radio is playing the 30th rendition of Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, like... I'm just, I'm kind of over it. But church Christmas music, oh, church Christmas music. Now that's something else wonderfully, wonderful entirely. I understand, I am a little biased, but the music of Christmas really is so lovely. Not just because it's beautiful to sing and beautiful to hear, but it carries with it the message of the good news that is the heart of the Christmas story. The carols and the hymns we have from our religious tradition, they help us treasure and cherish and celebrate this amazing story we have of God come to be with us. I mean, consider that amazing Advent hymn that we sang at the beginning of worship today, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, a tremendously powerful piece of music that you will never, ever, ever hear on the radio, right? You are not going to hear that one on the radio in December. Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, born to set Thy people free. From our sins and fears release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Do you want to know what Christmas is about? Sing that song. It's about release from sin. It's about release from fear. It's about freedom. It's about rest. That's what Jesus' birth brings to us. That's why we celebrate. So that is a favorite hymn of mine. As is our featured hymn for today... And actually, it's by the same hymn writer as Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, one Mr. Charles Wesley. The hymn we're focused on today is actually a song that sometimes you will hear sung on the radio this time of year, covered by modern artists, even though it is as deep theologically as they come. Hark the herald angels sing. Now, over Thanksgiving weekend, Matt and I were in Kansas with our families, which was wonderful. And it was the first time that I had seen my father-in-law since July when we rushed to Wichita to be at his bedside after he suffered a stroke. He's now in nursing care and he's stable, though he is definitely impaired in body and mind. Uh, He has a hard time having a conversation of more than just a few sentences long, but one thing that he can do is he can sing. He can sing. And I know this because Matt and I last weekend were able to take him out of his care facility on Sunday morning to First United Methodist Church of Winfield, where Glenn attended faithfully and sang in the choir for more than 40 years. Now, he usually can't remember what he ate for breakfast, but when it came time for the hymns, Matt pulled out the hymnal and held it for his dad to see, and Glenn sang every word. I mean, that's what music does. It works its way deep inside of us. It lodges itself in a place that's different than when we read or when we talk. Music carries with it memory and feeling and wisdom and spirituality and truth. That's why what we sing is important. What we sing over and over again, the songs that we know by heart, even more important. That's why this Advent we are celebrating some of the best songs of the season and looking at the faith that they nurture inside of us. Last week, Pastor Rebecca did a great job helping us think about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And she talked about that longing and the hope that that song represents, the distance that we feel this time of year between the world as it is and the world as God wants it to be. Come, come and be with us, God. We need you now more than ever. That's what that song says. Today, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, before we get into the story of the hymn, I just I want to honor my father-in-law by sharing with you all an important interpretive point that he has made repeatedly about this song. Now, if you were to look in the hymnal at the, at the way the title of this first song is punctuated, what you would see is Hark! followed by an exclamation point. Then the words the Herald Angels Sing, then a comma, then you would see quotation marks. Okay, with me? Glory to the newborn king. So the editors who place these punctuation marks, they're suggesting to us that the hymn is saying, hark, all you listen, right? Listen, hark, the herald angels are singing, and what they are singing is glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Okay, well, my father-in-law, he thinks that the angels themselves actually sang the word hark. He thinks there should be quotation marks around the word hark, right? So he thinks that the angels saying hark like they're saying to us. Listen up, all you hark. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. So he thinks that whenever we sing it, we should have a little pause after the word hark. Like hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. All right, so that's for Glenn. We're just all saying that today for Glenn. Thank you, Glenn. I like Glenn's interpretation very much, and I always think about him now when I sing this song. He may be right. You know, I don't know exactly what the angels sang. And I haven't told Glenn this, but if you look in the scripture, actually, Luke chapter 2, it doesn't say the angels sang at all. (laughs) It reads, the angels said to them. And then all the other angels showed up and saying, so it's actually an image of angels talking, not singing. I suspect the reason we think about angels singing is in, because of this interpretation of good Mr. Wesley, this very popular hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Of course they sing. Oh. Now, the fact that Charles Wesley may have embellished a little on the singing, it does not mean that he fudged on the rest of the song. After that opening line, The poem Charles wrote gets very theological very fast, and it conveys to us the deep meaning of this celebration. Now Charles, of course, was a brother to John Wesley, and John gets the most credit for starting the Methodist movement. John was the preacher and organizer, Charles was the poet and the musician, and both of them were very accomplished theologians in their own way, and we would not have our rich Methodist heritage without them both. Hark the Herald Angels Sing was first written and published in 1739 just a year after Charles had had this really significant encounter with the Holy Spirit. He had this moment that he called his conversion moment, when he was assured of God's love for the very first time in a deep and new way, that God's love was unearned and undeserved, but it was his. And that next Christmas, he wrote this poem called Hymn for Christmas Day. That's what it was first titled. Now, of course, it's been edited and and changed by various individuals and hymnal committees throughout these hundreds of years. And we can actually be thankful because Charles' original poem starts with the first line, Hark how the welkin rings. Wouldn't that just roll off your tongue if we sang that instead? Hark how the welkin rings. I had no idea what a welkin is. I had to look it up. It's an archaic term that means the sky or the firmament, the, the place where angels perhaps dwelled. And it comes from a time when people didn't know very much about space or the universe, especially that galaxies stretch out so far beyond ours. Thankfully, the first line was changed to the line that we know today. It was changed as early as 1753 by a fellow preacher named George Whitfield. So we do not have to go around explaining to everyone what a welkin is. But the words are almost all from Charles. The tune, however, is not... Almost exactly 100 years after Charles wrote the poem, Felix Mendelssohn composed a cantata in 1840, celebrating the 400th anniversary of the invention of movable type by Johannes Gutenberg. Boy, isn't that exciting. I know. What? He wrote this beautiful cantata. And 16 years after that, okay, now we're in 1856, another musician, William Cummings, he took a chorus from that Mendelssohn cantata and put it with Wesley's text. And he took the first two lines and made them the chorus to end each verse. And now, finally, we have the song that's in our hymnals today, one of the most festive and popular of all Christmas Christmas hymns. So, a lot of hands uh, involved in putting this one together. It's a wonderful song, a popular song, but, you know, Charles Wesley's point in writing the hymn was not to be popular. His point was to teach sound theology. Especially, he wanted to teach it to people who couldn't read or write. Music was an important way for early Methodists who were often poor and lacked a lot of education, a way for them to learn and remember their faith. And what Charles most wanted them to remember in this case was not the angels themselves singing or saying or flying or standing or whatever they were doing. It was the message. He wanted people to remember the message that those angels brought. The angels, they were just the messengers. The focus of the hymn is the message it brings about the miracle of Christmas. And that miracle is the fact that God came to be with us. Our almighty, transcendent, everlasting, holy God came to be with us on earth. As Eugene Peterson said, God moved into the neighborhood. I mean, look at the message of the, of the second verse of the hymn. We, we didn't sing it today, but I'm sure that you know it. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. God has come to dwell with us in human flesh. The everlasting Lord is here. This is the amazing news that the angels want to tell the whole world. They are simply blessed to be the messengers on that Christmas night. Now, angels sharing the good news, that's the image and image that comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of John, we read about a different messenger, but one with the very same message. His name's John the Baptist. John the Baptist, we actually find in all four Gospel stories. He's the only character from the beginning of Jesus' life that shows up in all four places. And John's purpose in the Gospel of John is to do one thing, and that is to point to Jesus. He wants to point people to Jesus. And he does it in several different places through the gospel story, one of which Stephanie just read for us this morning in the very first chapter. He testifies about who Jesus is. He testifies, saying, the one who comes after me, born after me, he's actually more important than me. He says, this is God in the flesh. The gospel tells us that no one has ever seen God. It's God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart. Who has made him known. In other words, Jesus shows us who God is. Jesus shows us who God is. If we want to know what God is like, we just look at Jesus. This is the amazing news the angels are singing about. God is here, and if we want to know what God is like, we just look at Jesus. But it wasn't just angels who had that message. Right? We see in the Gospel of John that John the Baptist, a regular old person, just like you and me, he also sang out to the world to say, Jesus, God is here. In so many ways, we see the Bible telling us, teaching us, that Jesus' arrival is worth telling other people about. Part of what it means to respond in faith to this Christmas moment is to point other people to Jesus. Now that may seem really simple. But I hope it's the thing that you hold on to today, that Jesus' arrival here is worth telling other people about. The fact that Jesus showed up to show us God's love and God's mercy in the form of a person, it's worth telling other people about. The truth that Jesus came in flesh and bone to bring God's healing and God's restoring love, it's worth telling other people about. The angels sing about it, John the Baptist testified about it. And when we celebrate Christmas each and every year, we have the same chance to tell the world about the miracle of God with us. So my challenge to you this week is, is a very simple one. I want to invite you just to take a look at your Christmas celebrations. Take a look at your plans, however big or small they are. Take a look and, and notice where are the places that you are, are celebrating in a way that does honor to the good news of God with us. Friends, the world around us is going to give us a whole lot of ways to celebrate Christmas without even a hint of Jesus in it. I mean, people can do Santa and presents and cookies and cocoa and secular Christmas music all they want and not bother even a bit with this news of which the angels sing. So, If you want to sing Feliz Navidad really loudly every time it comes on the radio, you go right ahead. You belt it out loud and strong. But just remember, it's not the heart of the Christmas celebration. Take a moment today and and ask yourself, where is my family also embracing this good news of God come for us? Where are we sharing the heart of the Christmas story with our friends and with our family? Where are we even sharing it with the world? Is it in the way that you're reading an Advent devotional in your house? You know, we're in week two of Advent, but it's not too late to start. You still got three weeks to go. If you want to pick one up, we have some outside the office, or they had the link in the trumpet to a great Advent devotional. Or are you lighting an Advent wreath in your home with your family? Are you pointing to Jesus in the way that you're giving money or food to those in need? Do you have a nativity set up in your house so that others see it when they come to your house for a holiday party? Do you read the Christmas story from a kid's Bible while you also prepare for Santa's arrival with your kids or with your grandkids? Can you invite someone new to join you for worship on Christmas Eve? Where is it this year that you can be like the angels singing or like John the Baptist, and share the good news of Emmanuel with the world, you might be just the person to bring this news to someone who really needs to hear of God's love and God's grace. Wesley's hymn, of course, it invites us to join in sharing the good news. He writes, joyful all you nations rise, join, join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim." Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Amen.